You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs, the show that discusses hearing technology, best practices, and a growing national epidemic, hearing loss. On this episode, we are so excited to welcome Dr. Zazov from the George A. Dean Chair of Family Medicine at the University of Michigan. Dr. Zazov is the professor and chair. And Dr. Zazov, welcome to the Hearing Matters podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Dr. Zazov, let's dive right into this. Can you please share with us your experience with regard to your educational journey? What were some of the challenges that you experienced early on in the classroom? Dictly back in the last millennium, so a long, long time ago, I wasn't diagnosed until I was four. So for the first three, four years, there was nothing. I was diagnosed at age four, and then from then on, my parents put me in mainstream. It's interesting because in those days, people who were deaf were put in the state deaf scores. But because I was not diagnosed until I was four, my parents realized, hey, maybe this person can compete. So they put me in mainstream classes. And the question is about some of the challenges. It's interesting. I was the first person mainstream in the northern Chicago suburbs. Wow. There was another person who was mainstream in Chicago ahead of me, but this is northern suburbs. By coincidence, we lived in the town where all the deaf kids from the northern suburbs were come to, and that's square system, by coincidence. So the deaf teacher would go to each class and work with the teachers, as I went to elementary school, to work with me. Every year, my mom and dad have told me, every year the teachers were petrified. How am I going to deal with the deaf kids? And every year, at the end of the year, they were my biggest supporters. And so, wow. and I think... A lot of it had to do with the deaf teacher telling them it's going to be okay, put them in the front of the class, look at him when you speak, so forth. It was never the other kids, it's always the teachers who were the biggest barrier. But I missed probably half of what they said, but you know, half of what they said probably wasn't that important anyway. Would you say that as you went through your educational journey and technology got better, maybe increased awareness of overall hearing healthcare and teaching individuals who are deaf. Do you believe as though that innovation and technology eventually caught up to assist you and the teachers in the classroom as you went through your educational journey? I would say since 25 to now 2021, absolutely. When I was there, there wasn't anything. No accommodations, no, obviously no cell phones. Hearing aids were big and bulky and, you know, you wore them in your pocket or your hip. I refused to wear them because I didn't want to be different. There wasn't anything. So the short answer to your question for me didn't make a difference. Now it's huge, too. The opportunity for people now are enormous. So thank you to all of the individuals in hearing healthcare who assisted in that innovation to connect 
humans, even more so to each other, because even individuals who are deaf and hard of hearing, that is the biggest challenge. And Dr. Zazov, you had reported in an interview and you referenced Helen Keller, and she stated that being blind cuts you off from objects, but being deaf cuts you off from people. And you are the son of two physicians, and being deaf did not stop you from turning your passion of helping people into a successful career as a physician. Out of curiosity, where does your passion and your grit come from? I didn't think anybody knows. That's a great question. I'm curious I'm ever getting hearing and who the individual is. I will say, however, every single successful deaf person, like whether it's minority or capability deaf person I know, like, strong parent parental support that really advocated for them. Because think about it, when you're five, six, seven, even 10, 12 years of age, you're not going to advocate yourself against teachers and the principal and the school system, but you're paying for it. So I think parental support is so much. I think once you get older and you've lived these experiences yourself and seen how difficult it is and you've made friends and you see other people with disabilities, in this case, I'm deaf, but people in wheelchairs, people with visual loss, psychiatric disabilities, I think we connect better and we appreciate what each other is going through. So I think that helps drive you to help others, especially other people with disabilities. And how important is it when you do present with a hearing loss or you are hard of hearing and deaf, how important is it to advocate for yourself to say and to not be afraid to say, I have a hearing loss, I am deaf, can you please speak slower, maybe get better light on your face? How important is that, Dr. Zazov? And I think Henry Kaiser says it better than me. Henry Kaiser, the former editor of the Chicago Sun-Times, the people with hearing loss are so focused and not being noticed that they actually hurt themselves. And people who have hearing loss, other than the capital D deaf community, the rest of us, 95% of us, do not want anybody else to know that we have trouble. We don't say anything, we're quiet, we'd rather not understand and let people know that we're deaf, we don't want to say, please repeat that. I think it's very important to answer your question. I think people rarely do it because they're embarrassed. And we, we don't quite understand that. People don't want to wear hearing aids because they're embarrassed. They wear glasses. They say, hey, I can't see you. I like to use a, a story where you're at a party and somebody walks in who's blind. What's the first thing you do? You get up and say, hey, can I help you sit down? So what if somebody else walks in and they're deaf? What do you do? It's invisible. They say something, and they won't say anything, so you never know. Right, right. So the other thing, right now with the mask, I know we have clear masks, but most people don't wear clear masks. I think that first more of us to tell you somebody, hey, I'm deaf, I can't understand you. And I'm, most people are totally fine with putting the mask down or sometimes driving. It's been very gratifying to see that. But I think that's the big issue. Most vast majority of people telling us do not want to tell you. It is so important. And to anyone out there listening right now, and you currently wear hearing aids, and you've been wearing hearing aids, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself to say, excuse me, can you slow down your speech? And while we understand that you don't want to bring attention to the fact that you wear hearing instruments, it's okay. We are all 
human. Dr. Zazov, and we've been doing a lot of research on your incredible career, all the lives that you've changed and enhanced. And it is so empowering being a younger clinician to see what you've experienced because when you were younger, there were educators who would say, you know, maybe the best that he's going to do is get into janitorial services. And what's so interesting is that sometimes you have to believe in someone else's belief in yourself before you actually believe in yourself. And you're very passionate about what you do and you love helping the community and love helping patients on their journey to better health. You report that people with hearing loss often receive suboptimal health care. Share with us why this is and how we can fix this. We were just talking about people with hearing loss don't want to tell you. The doctor don't know they have a hearing loss. You have a hearing loss, you go to the doctor, you have an abdominal pain. The doctor says, do this. You don't understand what the doctor says, do they ask you questions, and you give an answer that may not be accurate. It's a problem. You're not going to get good health care. But the flip side is a problem, too. Most physicians, not all, but most, have, are uncomfortable taking care of patients with hearing loss. And it's mind-boggling in many ways because we take care of so many things, but people are afraid. When we were doing some of our studies, people said to me, if I have hearing loss, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And part of it is we got very little training in medical school about it. Part of it is the whole stigma around hearing loss, which is why we think most people who have hearing loss don't want to admit it. It's, you know, the whole deaf and dumb thing. And it's a real issue. I mean, we've done studies where I had a grad student who did a very innovative study to show the physician treat the hearing patient differently in terms of recommended mammograms and colon cancer screening and stuff versus those who had a hearing loss. Not deaf, just a hearing loss. It's really impressive. And I think the other thing that we need to think about is when I wear glasses, they really hurt. Hearing aids make things louder, but as you know, probably more than most, they don't necessarily make things clearer. Sometimes making it louder hurts, but it gets more noise to some people. And so... People, and they're expensive. Medicare doesn't cover it, money insurances. So it's an issue. And so it's a long answer to your question. No, absolutely. And one of the many reasons why we host this show, the Hearing Matters podcast, is to raise awareness of the importance of best practices, raising awareness of overall hearing health care. Because Dr. Zazov, at our family private practice, we know where our patients come from. And I have to say, our physician referrals are rather low. Even though we've gone out in the community, we've introduced ourselves, we've let them know that we are a sounding board and we are an office that if you have a patient who presents with a hearing loss, we can help them. And unfortunately, when you talk about your journey with this implementation science, how physicians can help more patients, because we understand that the physician is, they have their hands full. They have to see how many patients a day, maybe 40, 50, 60 patients a day. So maybe they see 20 patients a day and they're sort of cut for time. So 
With regard to raising awareness of the importance of hearing health care, the importance of the physician making a referral to an audiologist or licensed hearing health care professional, how will your work with implementation science enhance the process and enhance the ability of physicians to assist in the hearing journey and make the appropriate referral? Thank you for asking that question. I think the first thing we should do is just quickly define implementation science. I'm actually everybody understands that. And that's how to make things that clearly work actually happen in the real world. For example, screening for hearing loss, we know it works, but how do you make it happen? We, on our EARPC, E-A-R-P-C, which is Early Auditory Referral Primary Care Study, we developed a prompt an electronic alert in our electronic medical record to tell the physician anytime a high-risk person comes in to ask about hearing loss. Part of the implementation science is figuring out how to make it most effective. We actually increased referrals sevenfold, seven times as many people were referred. Having said that, most people were still not referred. I think we got up to about 10 to 15% of the high-risk people being referred. So it's a great improvement. Yeah. It's still a lot of people not doing it. The other study we're doing, which is, to me, this is interesting, is some retrospective data. That means looking at surveys, national surveys, suggest that people with hearing loss get readmitted to the hospital 30% more than hearing people who don't have hearing loss. So in other words, you got admitted, let's say, for pneumonia, and you go home. If you have a hearing loss, you're 30% more likely to get readmitted within 30 days than if you didn't have a hearing loss. That's huge. Um, we are now actually doing a prospective study. We are going from room to room at the hospital, checking hearing testing so we know whether the person has a hearing loss, how severe. Not telling the doctor, and we're going to see if they do indeed have higher readmission rate. And again, let's get back to what we said before. We're getting comments from patients as we do this. My doctor coming and talking to me, I have no idea what they're saying. I can't hear I just nod my head. People are embarrassed. They don't have a doctor. The doctor don't know they have a hearing loss, and then they don't communicate. Right. So we find there is indeed higher readmission rate. Getting back to implementation change, we have to figure out now how do we implement policies to help the physicians not only know the patient has a hearing loss, but appropriately respond to it to make sure the patient understands what's going on. We always talk about processes and procedures, and number one, this not only raises awareness, but it creates a greater process for the overall health and well-being of these patients because we do know that individuals who present with hearing loss are at a greater risk of hospitalization. And I'm very excited to see what your study finds, and if you do find that individuals who do present with hearing loss are readmitted sooner than those without hearing loss. Dr. Zazov, a question that we almost always get at the office is, my son or daughter was just diagnosed with hearing loss. And for parents who are raising a child who's deaf and hard of hearing, what advice would you give them? You know, what can they do to support their child throughout their hearing journey? Would you suggest support groups? What does this look like? Let's take a quick break. Running a private practice is challenging. 
and it's especially difficult if you're using a management software system that's out of date or doesn't really fit your needs. As a former private practice owner, I personally found Cycle to be such an incredible tool that is easy to use and is really in the best interest of my patients. Cycle provides you with industry-specific workflows and features for a smooth running front office. And if you've been listening to the Hearing Matters podcast, you will know that I believe that the front office staff is really the most important position in a hearing care clinic. Learn more at cycle.com. That's S-Y-C-L-E.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Wonderful question. I get that question all the time too. I don't know if you remember earlier when I said that the successful people, deaf people, all have very strong parent advocates. I think number one, yes, your child may have a profound hearing loss, but that's okay. We all have our own disabilities. And you need to be out there advocating. They can, and telling the kids, they can do whatever they want to do. They may have to do it a different way, but anything is possible. That's number one. Number two, I would suggest that people are open to the communication style. There's a big debate about sign language versus oral. I think the most important thing, you need to learn a language by age three to, for your brain to develop. Um, the third thing is accommodation. People may need some accommodation, whether it's simple ones like sitting in front of the class, whether it's hearing whether it's cochlear implants, whether it's all kinds of things. Uh, a oral interpreter, it's having accommodation. It's mandated by the ADA, the American Disability Act. And the last thing, I think you mentioned it, you're not alone. There are many support groups, many places where people can provide help. Parents who are going through similar things, you can talk to and say, hey, what did you do here? What did you do there? Where you can get more information from the newsletter or from convention. And I was lucky. I have two parents who were very strong advocates. And it made all the difference. And having strong parents who were advocating for you made all the difference. It's 100% the difference. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. I'd be maybe in some janitorial school or whatever. I'm not trying to put that down. I'm saying that I wouldn't have had the option to do anything else. Right. Absolutely. And what's so amazing, and I love that you brought this up, is learning a language by age three. And for our listeners tuned in, there is a difference between speech and language. Language is a code in which ideas are shared, and speech is a neuromuscular process. So learning sign language, number one, it is a beautiful language. Number two, it allows that child to feel connected. Correct, Dr. Zazov? Sure. The brain is forming the connection in the first two to three years, and some of the connections have to do with language acquisition. And whether it's sign language, which is a different idiom and grammar than oral language, and whether it's English or Russian, doesn't really matter as long as you have a language. After age three, you can, if you didn't have sign language, you can learn that. If you learn sign language first, you can learn oral language. So there are different things, but then your brain can do it because it got those connections. And neuroplasticity is a real thing. <laughs> it definitely is. Dr. Zazov, Rutgers was the only medical school that would accept you into their program. How did this accept your journey to becoming a doctor? The first year I applied to, I think, 15, 17 medical schools, I didn't get into any of them. Like the bad having better grades, more extracurricular activity, the per-blooded recommendation because I 
there are one or two of them, and a friend of ours who was at the University of Illinois Medical School Admission Committee, I was an Illinois resident, told my parents it was because of my hearing loss. Hmm. It's definitely about the 36 scores, and I was lucky. I'm the third deaf person to go to medical school. The second person was two years ahead of me at Rutgers, had done well, and had opened the door, so to speak. And so when I went to Rutgers, even though I was out of state, they were intrigued and they took me. Wow. I think it affected my journey because it makes me realize what other people's disabilities go through. I mean, I've been there. And so that's why I focused so much on my career and helping them. And what's so amazing is you did not let those letters of rejection define you. You still went after what you wanted to go after, and that's become a doctor and help tens of thousands of patients on their journey to better living. Your story is incredibly empowering. And for Rutgers to say, yes, he has a great background. He wants to become a doctor and help patients on their wellness journey. Thank you to Rutgers. That is incredible. That is truly incredible. I could add one more thing here. You know, I'm going to ask any listener who may have profound hearing loss to be, you have an opportunity to be a role model too. It's been very nice, even now, I still hear from people regularly from around the world who drop my autobiography, which is published, have heard of me in different ways, and just tell me how knowing about me has given them motivation. You could do the same thing. I mean, we have a group now, an association of medical professionals with hearing loss, people with hearing loss in different fields, nursing, medicine, dentistry, veterinary, and so forth. And people are role models. And, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. To share the light and to show others that it can be done. We absolutely agree with that. Hearing healthcare, we believe, is not an online model, right? It's important to visit a hearing healthcare professional. With that being said, what can we do as a team to spread awareness of the importance of visiting an audiologist or licensed hearing healthcare professional? That's a good question. I mean, I'm not sure that necessarily the first step for some people, but other people may be a great first step. We've touched upon many things discussing, and one is people need to be willing to accept to have a hearing loss. It's okay to get out and say, I need help. We all have a disability of some kind. And second, talk to your family doctor. Talk to him or her and say, hey, I'm having a hard time. Can you help me if you then they can refer you, and then you can get it covered by insurance. Third, I think there's a revolution coming. Just like now, I can go to the store and buy reading glasses before I had to get prescription. As you know, there's the over-the-counter hearing device app. I think it can be more complicated than just glasses, because hearing loss is more complicated. Yes. Having said that, I'm hopeful more people will try them, and if it doesn't work, then the next step is, going to an audiologist or somebody who knows something about an otolaryngologist and saying, hey, I tried this, this, and this. It didn't work. And the last thing I would say is kind of what I said before, but even more so, when Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton both were here in a, which they did in public, people, it made it more normal, and lots of people came out of the woodwork and said, oh, if the president can do this, maybe I can. Yes. And I believe it was Bill Austin from Starkey Hearing that fit President Reagan with his first set of hearing instruments. I believe they were CIC hearing instruments. Yeah. So, Dr. Zazov, we want to thank you 
so much for joining us on the Hearing Matters podcast. Before we conclude today's episode, is there anything that you would like to share additionally with our listeners about your journey? Any words of wisdom to any parents who are raising a child or children who are deaf or hard of hearing? Yeah, I can make it kind of a personal thing, but we've set up a foundation. So if you have kids with hearing loss who are applying to college, the foundation we have provides scholarship for people who are going to college who have hearing loss. Wow. Um, the LTD, the Weeks American Jazz Foundation, you can find it online and we usually pay for four years. We have funding to do that and we're now in our 17th year of doing this. So we'd love to have applicants. So if you have that, please apply. Yes, Dr. Zizov, we will put that foundation in the description of this episode and we will absolutely share that with um, all of our colleagues and peers who are in the hearing healthcare industry and individuals we know who uh, present with hearing loss who are about to start their journey at the collegiate level. You're tuned in to the Hearing Matters podcast with Dr. Gregory Delfino and Blaze Delfino of Audiology Services and Fader Plugs. Today, we had Dr. Zazov from the George A. Dean Chair of Family Medicine at the University of of Michigan. Until next time, hear life story. Thanks again for tuning into the Hearing Matters podcast today. I'm your host, Blaze Delfino, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much for the support. Truly, it means so much to us. Head on over to the Apple Podcast app and Share your thoughts. What did you like most about this episode and what do you like most about our podcast? Five-star reviews are always appreciated. And also head on over to Instagram, hit that follow button and let's connect. And as a team, we can continue to help our community hear life story.